Podcast brought to you by the Mary Christie Institute, a thought leadership organization dedicated to the behavioral health and well being of teens and young adults. We have a particular focus on college students. I'm Marjorie Malpedi, the executive director of the Mary Christie Institute. And I'm Dana Humphrey, the associate director of the Mary Christie Institute, and we're the hosts of the Quadcast. Hi, and welcome to the Quadcast. I'm Molly Ames. I'm a reporter at the Mary Christie Institute and a guest host of the Quadcast. The emotional fallout of the pandemic has inspired a national discussion about the role of faculty in confronting a mounting student mental health crisis. Professors are reporting rampant burnout, feeling overwhelmed by an increasingly long list of responsibilities many say, now includes supporting students who are struggling with their mental health. Today on the quadcast, we'll be hearing from Sam Dolby, who's an assistant professor of history at Vanderbilt University. He started at Vanderbilt earlier this fall by way of Harvard College, where he was a lecturer in the history and literature department, and also, very luckily for me, my advisor and my professor. He specializes in the environmental history of the Ottoman Empire in the modern Middle East, but he's agreed to come on to talk with us about another area of his expertise, teaching, and for our purposes, its relationship to student well-being. Hi, Sam. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Molly. Thanks so much for having me. Well, it's great to have you and to get to hear your perspective on some of these issues affecting professors and potentially their own mental health. One major concern seems to be that faculty workloads are being stretched more and more. And I wonder to what extent you expected that caring for students on this more personal level might become part of your job when you decided to pursue higher education and how those expectations have compared to your reality? That is a good question. I think what appeals to me about teaching history and and working with wonderful students like you (laughs) is, is helping people get a vocabulary or perspective for, for dealing with the pressing crises of our time. And that means on the one hand, helping people understand things that they don't know about. But I think where I'm most inspired and I hope to be of most service is in helping students articulate things that they already understand, but maybe don't know how to talk about. So students who know on an intuitive level what racism or dispossession or migration mean, but but don't quite know how to talk about it. And I think working with with all students and involves meeting them where they are and and treating them like complex interesting human beings that they are and and that means care so that's not necessarily something i was thinking about a lot when i made decisions to get a phd but it's absolutely something that sustains me as i've continued in this work and i think another thing i might say is just that it's really hard to be young. And so I always try to keep that in mind when I'm working with students. This paper that they're struggling with, it really doesn't matter in the big scheme of things. And even if I think maybe they can write a better paper than they're going to, 
or especially if I think that's the case, you know, something I, I try to think about is, okay, what I say now is maybe not going to land, but is there something I can say that maybe can be helpful down the road when they're ready to hear it? You know, usually something like, you have really interesting ideas and you're really good at this if, if you want to be, like those sorts of messages. That's like the ideal situation, that showing that kind of care. Of course, I know most of what I say is probably not going to land either in the present or in a few years' time. <laughs> but I guess th those are some of the ways that I, I think about care as part of what I do. Well, I would beg to differ in terms of not landing in the moment, but I wonder if you have a philosophy when it comes to this personal emotional care for students? Is it also thinking about how that will influence them positively in an academic sense, in terms of that if you're doing well personally, you will produce better work? Or are you sort of more thinking about starting with the personal first and separating that from the paper they're writing? Or is that maybe not possible to do? That's a good question. The way I see it, first of all, is I'm not a therapist. I'm not a mental <laughs> health professional. And so when students are experiencing things, I want to point them towards those resources. Right. I also don't want students to feel like they have to talk about personal things with me at all. Like boundaries are good and I support that. I also know that things like writing are very personal. They're very emotional. And procrastination can often be about some kind of um, emotional stuckness that can be useful to talk about or useful to, to think about. And so to me, I think what's really important in teaching writing and in just thinking about my own work is being aware of the emotional nature of process and being open to the fact that the stuff you produce is not always going to be perfect, but it's hopefully going to lead you toward figuring some things out. In terms of a kind of philosophy of working with students, I guess I would reiterate that point, just that I see a lot of connections between how people are doing personally and thinking about themselves in the world. Like I don't see a clear divide between academic work and personal life. I guess the other thing I would say is I, I try to build in flexibility, but but also maintain structure in, in classes because I think you want to give a little bit of wiggle room, but also I think it can be overwhelming for students to, to just have no structure. And, you know, there have been a lot of conversations about this and due dates and, um, in COVID especially, but but that's that's a conversation that's being had too. And so I see that as another way to try to help students to offer care to students. Right. And you mentioned maybe originally when you decided that you wanted to enter higher education, that you weren't necessarily thinking about the culture of care that you would eventually see as necessary. Once you started teaching, was it very clear from the get-go or did this kind of philosophy develop over time and what steps did it take there? I think I knew from the start that I got a lot of energy from students. Mm -hmm. Like I find that really <laughs> exciting and fun to try to explain things to curious sometimes bored students. That's a really, that's a fun challenge. Yeah. And as I said before, students who feel very personally engaged in these issues. I teach the history of the Middle East. Many students have a deep personal connection to the things we're talking about in the classroom. So that's something I'm deeply aware of. And I think it was something that I didn't really expect. But as I said, it's something that's been 
sustaining. In terms of how it's developed over time, I, I guess one thing I would say is, I mean, obviously, Molly, you can fact check me having, <laughs> having worked with me, real time fact check here if you want. But I think something I really learned in Histon Lit was the importance of engaging with students. It was an esoteric program built on a lot of individual tutorials. And so when when you came into my office for our weekly meetings, Molly, I wasn't really just going to say, hi, Molly, what do you think about Joel Bainan's book about <laughs> communists in Egypt? Like, that's a strange way to begin things. And so there was always a, how are things going? What's like, what's going on in your life? And oh, okay. And like, now let's talk about communists in Egypt, right? And I think that that was helpful. And then the other thing I would say is related to this point about balancing between structure and flexibility. When I first started teaching in COVID on, on Zoom, I remember the first class I, I taught, I was trying to be conscious of what students were going through, and I didn't really know what they were going through. And so I kind of led in this way of like, we can read things or we can not read anything at all. Like, I have no idea what kind of trauma you're going through, and I want to be sensitive to that. And the response I got from students was like, yeah, let's read things. That's what we're here to do. We would like to be distracted from whatever's happening in the world by reading things like we like school. And obviously, lots of people have different experiences. I'm not trying to overly generalize from that, that first class I taught. But I think that impressed upon me, like I said, the importance of trying to balance between flexibility and awareness of what's going on and also offering structure for students to do the things they, they like to do. No, definitely was not lost on me that in the history and literature department, I was very lucky to have the sort of small personal classes and relationships both with students and with professors. And I would also say that it was not lost on me in the moment either that you always kind of checked in with me and asked me how I was doing before we went into the content. And even thinking about your comment about boundaries being good, even if students don't take you up on that, they at least know that you're offering you mentioned getting energy from students in this process of teaching and helping them learn. Does it, is it a double-edged or does it go the other way, I should say? Do you ever mm. feel overwhelmed also by perhaps the responsibility or the feeling of responsibility for their mental health if they're struggling building these relationships and, and helping them learn? Yeah, I don't feel overburdened. I mean, I certainly worry about oh. my students and in like increasingly old person type of ways. Like last semester I had all these students who rode their scooters to class and I was just I was just really trying to control myself from being like, boys, are you wearing helmets? Are you are you following, you know, stop signs? Like I'm I want you to be careful. On one level, there's that. There's also, you know, what do you do when a student is missing from class for a few weeks and isn't responding to emails? Like I said, I'm not a therapist and I I want to be a resource for students in terms of putting them in the direction of people who are actually trained to help them. But of course, that's something that, that I worry about. That's a real thing. Uh, and I know university counseling services are, are not perfect. They're overworked and, and dealing with their own challenges. Um, I would also say that the institutions that, that I've taught at, the institution that I'm teaching at now, which have pretty robust counseling services, this is absolutely not the norm for higher ed in the U.S., right? 
you know, majority of students are going to public institutions close to home, often living at home, often working while in school. Universities should do what they can to provide resources, but I think it's it's also important to be cognizant of how we're talking generally about well-resourced institutions. Right. And in the process, leave out what, what college actually looks like for most students in the United States. In 2021, the Mary Christie Institute with the Boston University School of Public Health released a survey of faculty on their experiences with students and student mental health. And it showed that a strong majority would welcome more training in Mm. being able to talk to students in this way. You've mentioned a couple of times that you're not a therapist. And I wonder if you feel comfortable pointing students to resources, would you be looking for more kind of support from your institutions in this area? Or do you have ideas about the ways that they could support professors in this process? I don't have strong ideas about that. I mean, knowing more, of course, would be helpful. Guess my response is on an abstract level of just Asking questions about why we're having this crisis of mental health. Um, it's not just COVID, right? It's also post-2008 economic conditions. It's also tying social well-being to the stock market. It's also the explosion of college tuition costs, rise in student loans, ongoing and impending climate catastrophe, right? These are all good reasons to feel overwhelmed, right? If the job of universities is to... Uh, equip students with the tools to live in the world and be critical observers and participants in social change, a response to all of these conditions by being overwhelmed or by being depressed, it both makes sense and it's something I think we need to think about on a bigger level. So I guess part of what I'm trying to say is, yes, it does make sense for universities to make the interventions that, that they can, but also there needs to be something bigger in the world outside of universities that has to do with these crises, with our relationship to work, with our understanding of the relationship between education and work, these are all things we need. And uh, <laughs> I realize that is far short of the specific suggestions your very good question asked for, but that's <laughs> the way that I see these things. And is it also something that you discuss with colleagues either at your current institution or more generally in higher ed, thinking about having new responsibilities or potentially growing responsibilities for students who are struggling and also approaching it or confronting it in course content like you were talking about is that something that that comes up frequently among other with other pr- professors who you've you've spoken with yeah i certainly talk with my colleagues about what their students might need. As I mentioned before, there's also a huge difference in terms of different kinds of institutions, different kinds yeah. of students, the different kinds of stress that that appear in these different contexts. I think it's it's absolutely something that a lot of people are concerned about and worried about and and certainly feel overwhelmed about. So the short answer, I suppose, is yes, absolutely. It's, yeah. it, it does seem like a real concern that many people have. But like I said, it manifests very differently depending on different institutional contexts. Does it also manifest differently potentially between different types of professors, either different types of disciplines, or is 
have you ever noticed a generational gap in terms of the degree to which professors are willing to engage with their students in this kind of personal or mental health oriented way? I don't know if I can say that for sure. What I can say is there's this stereotype that's often invoked of snowflake college students who can't handle any stress or even overhead lighting. And I really don't find that to be the case at all. I find that my students are dealing with a tremendous amount of stress. And often that's why I turn off the overhead lights in the classroom. <laughs> but, but I think that it's important to say that because of how commonly this is invoked. And I try to be conscious of that when I'm teaching. And I, like, like I said, I don't, I don't feel comfortable in the role of counselor. It's not my job, but I, I guess I, I want to be able to point people to those resources. And I also want to be open to the extent that I can about my own emotional experience of things. And I don't ever want to make something all about my feelings or anything like that. But I do think maybe this is a generational thing, but I think this is more just a personality thing. I find a lot of value in, in just being straightforward with students about, yes, I'm thinking about the shooting at Michigan State. I, I think about this almost every day when I walk in the classroom. You know, how many classes am I going to teach in my life? And is there going to be an unlucky intersection of events? Things like that. I, I don't know how useful that is. I hope it's useful in, in just acknowledging that there's a thing here. Acknowledging that the reasons why students feel stressed out are very valid. Have you had the experience of referring students often or at all to counseling resources or as you were saying the the issues that students can confront are diverse and many and could they be counseling resources or basic needs assistance is that something that you've had to do or that you feel like you could do yeah i've i've done that a lot and i can't really speak to the specifics of any of those cases but right. yeah it happens what are you thinking about in terms of the future? Do you feel like there was this surge that's been talked about in the direct wake of the pandemic in terms of student mental health needs, and mm -hmm. there's been plateau effect, or are, <laughs> are the issues and quantity of concerns staying high or on the rise? What do you see in trends in your own personal experience and how do you see them shaping for the coming months? I don't know if I can speak with quantitative certainty or actually let me rephrase that. I'm certain that I can't speak <laughs> with quantitative certainty. That's why I'm in the humanities. But <laughs> what I will say is students are really tired. They're so tired. There's new semester energy for a few weeks and then people are so tired until the end of the semester. And so Again, I feel like I'm going in an abstract direction. Like we need to find a way <laughs> to create sustaining environments for students. 
I suspect many professors will say that this is an evergreen observation. Students are always tired. Students always don't want to do the reading or, or whatever. That, that might be true. I'm, I'm sure there's an explanation here that has to do with the supercomputers in our pockets that have apps that make money off of our attention. I'm sure there are a lot of ways to think about why this is the case, but I guess the thing I think about a lot when I see these looks of exhaustion on students' faces is, first of all, that they're working so hard, they're exhausted, and yet they're still showing up in class. But also, how can we create space for things that are not work, things that are uh, so crucial to life and growth, things like friendship and rest? I, I feel like I saw this on Twitter at some point, and I feel like there is there a particular word for a thing on Twitter that you see and you don't remember who said it and <laughs> it, it just like bounces around in your head for years afterward? But but someone made this observation that part of the reason why people feel so attached to their colleges and universities in the United States is because it's the only time in life that many people live in dense, walkable environments close to their friends. And that is a sad uh, and I think accurate description of what life is like in the United States now. I also think there's some kind of radical vision there of what universities can be, a space to cultivate connections from, a space to cultivate personal connections with many different kinds of people and to think big and to think radically and to do things about it. And in terms of the, the fatigue that you're seeing, does that also apply to professors, either yourself or the people that you're working with? Is there just a general sense of tiredness and fatigue or are professors able to stay energized as their students are struggling? I think certainly there's fatigue. I mean, I don't want to... I don't want to compare levels of hardship, but of course okay. it's taxing and difficult and challenging emotionally to work with people who are going through things and to not necessarily know how to help them. Again, it's also probably important to observe the broader political economic landscape of higher education in the United States, which since the 1970s has been shifting toward increasingly relying on adjunct labor, which is to say non-tenure track professors because you're able to pay them less, you don't need to pay benefits. I think there's there's certainly fatigue related to COVID. There's certainly fatigue related to how do you respond to students' mental health challenges. But this is about labor on some level, right? It's about what do our lives look like on a material basis? And to what extent do we have power in the workplace to articulate that and actualize that? So I think that's a crucial, broader piece of context as well. Certainly, the Mary Christie Institute is very committed to the idea of higher education as a, like you said, a radical space for students to, to grow and to be well, but also to set them up for a life where they can continue doing that. And we're not there yet. So it's mm -hmm. really nice to hear. Obviously, I was on the receiving end, but also just to hear from professors like yourself who see that broader picture and are really dedicated to creating positive learning spaces for students. And I was very lucky to be the beneficiary of that. So it's great to get back in touch in the after-college world. Well, I, well, I was lucky lucky to have great <laughs> students like you, Molly. Oh, just getting emotional. But as you said, too, just the nostalgia for the college life. The Mary Christie Institute recently did a survey on recent graduate mental health 
And it's really hard. And I've seen that mm-hmm. in the numbers, but also with my experience and my friend's experience to suddenly be dispersed around the country yeah. and to not have that kind of that, those personal connections in the same way. And yeah. that is, of course, there are, there are highlights of the college experience and being right. on campus. And there are also a wide range of, of pressures that come with being in that space as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Thank you so much, Sam. Great to talk to you. Thanks, Molly. This has been the Quadcast, a program of the Mary Christie Institute. To learn more about our work, go to marychristieinstitute.org, where you can sign up for our other programs like the MC Feed and the Mary Christie Quarterly. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a rating or review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks so much for listening.